so good to see you guys again. I have the awesome privilege and honor to introduce to you our next house speaker, not guest speaker. Um, and this person, you know how, like it just gives me the picture of the armor of Christ. Like every time I see this person, this man, gives me the picture of just wearing, like a warrior wearing that armor and not neglecting the very last bottom of all the tools and all the weapons that God has given us in his word through Romans and his prayer. Like I see a mantle of prayer in this man's life and he does it just very naturally. He does it just saying yes to the Lord and giving our the prayers you know, like as an as an incense, as Cornelius did it, like it would there were memorials to the Lord. And that's why I see in Terry Sanders, our next guest speaker. Come on, just give him a hand. Do I look like a deer in a headlight? <laughs> well, good morning, Thrive. So excited to have this opportunity to get up and just share the word with you. Uh, it's so easy for us as Christians to compare ourselves to other people. Like Pastor Stephanie is just so eloquent and just has such great Pastor Nathan the same. But it's like we can't do that because we all, I said I wasn't going to cry. I said we, <laughs> but uh but the Lord has something to come out of all of us. We all have something special in the body of Christ. When uh, Pastor Nathan first approached us about uh, seeking the Lord to speak, immediately I went, <gasps> Not yet. I'm not ready for that. But uh, got really anxious, as I'm sure many of y'all would too. But it, I know at this time in my life, God's doing lots of stretching. He's uh, doing lots of changes. Uh, I know a lot of y'all are too. It's just it's that time in our life where God's just doing changes and just, just digging in our heart and cleaning us out and getting us ready for what he has for us. I chose uh, for my subject the servant. Uh, after I got into a leadership class, that was the one thing I just said. I said, I don't know what I want to do. I know what I've done in the past, and it didn't work out so good. But it's like, God, I just want to be a servant. I just want to just lay myself down, whatever you have for me. But Jesus uh, also sh showed us how to be a servant, to lead as a servant. But I appreciate Pastor Nathan that he here at Thrive, because he always gives us challenges, as well as the rest of the pastoral staff. They always give us challenges, not just for challenge's sake, but challenges us that teach us to be servants and to teach us to grow so that we can be good servants, not only for this house, but for the Lord. This sermon is about how Jesus came and changed the whole world especially in the area of humility as a servant leader. When looking this subject up, I was saying, uh, do I have any 
authority to be speaking on humility? Uh, is that something in me? It's like, Lord, I, I don't know. I said, well, I have been humbled several times in my life, so maybe. <laughs> but I think uh, we can all learn something about the humility pertaining to the Lord Jesus. So our scripture references today will be in Acts 16.20 and Philippians 2. I just wanted to give you a little bit of background. Uh, Paul and, and his companion Silas are in Philippi. And Philippi is a, a growing community, big town, and it's only rivaled by Rome. So it's got a lot going on. Uh, as, as it continued to grow, and it just was just huge. And uh, so the people were very arrogant, and uh, so it just continued to grow and grow. As a Roman citizen, you had certain rights and privileges. And you could never be beaten or put in jail without due process of the law. But they were also obsessed with status. Everything they did was to accumulate wealth so that they could find another status, hit another rung. Everything they did was vertical. They always wanted to climb, get higher and higher and higher so that they could collect more wealth, be a better status in the community. Even at events, you weren't allowed just to sit anywhere you wanted. You, you had to sit where they told you or where your status allowed you to sit. You couldn't just walk in and sit anywhere. Even when you went to banquets, uh, in different events such as that, if you were the honored guest, you always sat at the right hand, quit it. <laughs> but thank you. But even, uh, even at banquets, if you were the honored guest, you sat at the right hand side. If you were the next honored, you sat at the left hand side. Some of you all remember the, the scripture where it talks about uh, Jesus and the disciples they were talking about. Jesus, can I sit at your right? Can I sit at your left? It had nothing to do with being close to Jesus. It had all to do with honor and status. It even says that in the scripture. Even the clothes you wore back then was all about status. You couldn't wear a toga unless you were at that certain level. You couldn't have color in your coat, uh, any kind of colored thread in your toga unless you were at a certain status. Maybe y'all can remember when I was growing up, when I was in middle school, I used to see all those football guys wearing those leather letter jackets. I thought that was the coolest thing. You know, leather on both sides, patches. You know, the more times you did, the more patches you had. I thought that was just the coolest thing. I couldn't wait till I got into high school so I'd have that opportunity to have a leather jacket. Some of y'all maybe remember even uh, buying the white Air Force tennis shoes. That was my kid's big thing. You had to have the white Air Force. No other color, white. And even Jordans, you had to have the Jordans. It was all about status. Even uh, the athletes and the... Uh, Movie stars, you know, it's all about the status, what they wear, 
puts them in a different status, what they have on their social media, different status, every award show on the red carpet. Oh my God, what are you wearing? Who's your designer? <laughs> so Paul and Silas were, were beaten and they were chained and they were put in the deepest part of the prison, the Bible says. In East Texas terms, they were thrown in the jail and they threw away the key. They, the reason why they were put there is they had the audacity to uh, have a, a demon taken out of a fortune teller. And the reason why they were put in jail was because the masters of that slave were upset. They wanted, you know, that was their cash gal. That was their, their, their way of making money. And of course they were upset. In Acts 16.35, uh, it says, When it was day, the magistrate sent the officer, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned. Romans, and they have thrown us into prison, and now do they want to just put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. So the magistrates appeased them and came and escorted them out of prison. So when you read this, you say, wait a minute, you're a Roman? Why would you go through all that beating and pain and torture. Why did you go through that? Why did you wait till the next day to say something? That makes no sense. He could have escaped all of that pain and punishment. And I'm sure Silas was thinking the same thing. Hey, brother, <laughs> you know, <laughs> why didn't you say something? <laughs> then he had the mad- uh, <laughs> so. but then he had the magistrate escort them out. Paul was definitely up to something. Paul and Silas had a good community in Philippi. They were moving around. They were getting people to say, you know, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. But he knew that freedmen and even slaves, if they said that to the wrong person, that they could be imprisoned and possibly even killed. He knew that most of the religious elite would never become Christians. He chose to do something that a Roman or a religious person would would never do. Paul chose to be beaten falsely and falsely accused. Paul chose to humble himself so they would see him as as an example to those who would one day look to Jesus as their Savior. So he would look just like them. Paul is writing in, in Roman Philippi from prison, said this, Philippians 2.5. I think I paraphrased this. Uh, you should take on the very attitude of Christ that he did think or become equal. He did not become equal with God, but took on the attitude of a servant made himself nothing, 
but a slave or a servant. But Paul used specific language here because he was sitting at the right hand of God because where you sit is who you are because Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God. And Jesus was in the highest honor, the highest honor of the universe. He chose to humble himself as a slave, but not any slave, a crucified slave, the worst kind. You see, where you sit is who you are. Philippians 2.8 says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's cross, a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus wrapped himself in humanity. He left his divinity and became just like us so that he could feel pain, emotions, everything that a human would feel. You see, what you wear is who you are. Jesus was clothed in humanity. He laid down his ability to determine his future and put it in the hands of the Father. Paul says he comes down to be a martyr and to have a slave's death to die on a cross. But thank goodness he doesn't leave us there. In the next verse he says, Therefore, I always like therefores, they're always powerful. They're always something that's, that's coming, and you're waiting for it. So I looked in my thesaurus, Google, <laughs> and, and there's a website called uh, Life's Daily Devotional, and it says a therefore is a reaction to a response to what happened in the past. In Philippians 2, 9 and 11, it says, Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, every on, on heaven and in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Caesar's not Lord. Our presidents aren't Lord. Judges, senators, they're not Lord. Athletes and movie stars, they aren't Lord. Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the message of the cross. Paul's message was to a society not much different than what we have here. It was a message of humility, a message of humbling ourselves to one another. Just a few passages above this, it says, in Philippians 2.3, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Can you imagine the difference in our families, in our workplace, even in our church, if we would 
learn to be like Jesus, the servant. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Okay, that's my introduction. <laughs> so I want to speak about three things. Uh, and the first one is Jesus redefines status. Jesus didn't fight for his place or equality. No, he humbled himself all the way down. He didn't fight for some sense of status or some sense of honor. In Mark 10, Jesus was instructing his disciples on how they should conduct themselves or how they should act. He spoke of how you, sh should be you shouldn't be served, but you should serve. As he talked about how Gentile leaders use their place of status to lord it over him. That wasn't how Jesus did it. That wasn't how the Son of Man did it. Jesus wants us to serve. Those who want to be first should serve. Those that want to be leaders should first be servants. Nowadays, the proud and the arrogant are, are ones that we kind of reject, that we don't really want to be around. But in those days, the boastful, proud, and were celebrated. But even today, I'm not sure any of us would want to be around it. But back then, no one wanted to climb down the litter of success or down the litter of status, ladder. No one had wanted to be humble or have humility. Certainly not in Roman days. There wasn't even a word for it. We've seen these in movies as Roman soldiers with their armor and their helmets looked really impressive, but they lorded over people. But Jesus came in the sign of the cross and total, totally turned everything upside down forever. That even today, we recognize humble leaders and we honor them. In leadership class, we're reading a book called Creativity, Inc., and it's by Ed, Ed Catmull. In the book, it's talking about the film production, uh, Pixar. Maybe I've heard of it. They do, uh, they've done Toy Story and Finding Nemo and Up, many others. If you have kids or grandkids, I'm sure you've seen them. I'm probably sick of a few of them. Anyway, in the book, it talked about when they were a smaller company that they would have creativity meetings and it was just like ideas thrown around, free speech. You know, they were just burp, 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 all the time. And it was awesome. But they got bought out by good old Steve Jobs. Steve moved them into a building, beautiful new building, had a huge conference room with a huge table in it, big oval table. And uh, when they would have meetings, they would put name tags all the way around the table, well, to their, you know, it's like most important person in the center all the way around, and then they said even people were along the wall would be lined up. Well, to their surprise, no creativity was happening, no free speech was happening, just got deadly silent. So they had a meeting, to their astonishment, they had a meeting in a different place, and uh, it was in a smaller room, square table, no name tags. Well, guess what? Creativity, free speech started happening again. So it said, hey, we 
kind of stumbled onto this by accident, but we need, to, we need to change things. So they got rid of the big table, got rid of the name tags. Guess what happened? Free speech, creativity, all started happening again. As a firefighter, I saw many types of leadership styles, as I'm sure many of y'all have too, uh, ones that are in the military, ones that are ex-police firefighters as I was, uh, even parents are bad bosses. We've all seen these types of uh, leadership skills. Uh, some of them are kind of brash. Do it because I said so. Do it because I've got the bars, I've got the patch. It's not really what a humble servant looks like. I always like the captains that, and the chiefs rolled up their sleeves, did the same job you did. They would go outside and wash the cars, wash the dishes, mow the yard. Those are what the humbled servants look like. It's what Jesus did. It's like it, it makes you want to work harder for those kind of guys because you see what kind of person they really are. So even our pastor, Nathan and Allie, total open books. I appreciate how they worship the king and total honor and humility. I appreciate how open and transparent he is from the platform. Some of the stories he shares up here aren't pretty, but he has freedom, so there's no shame, no guilt. Truly a humble servant. Those in leadership class were just hoping that some of that will rub off on us, you know, that we can minister in the same anointing. You see, we're attracted and we're inspired by men and women who demonstrate true humility in their lives. You see, when you don't feel the need to impress people, you have the freedom to serve them instead. I wish that was mine, but it was. <laughs> Still a good word, right? <laughs> here, in, here in John chapter 13, we see Jesus showing once again how to express true humility. Jesus had been given all authority from the Father. We can live a life of humility when we know who we are and where we are in God's kingdom. You see, there's no one above and no one below. There are no chiefs, no lieutenants, no sergeants. There's only one title, servant of all. So in John 13, it says that he got up, <coughs> he got up from the table, took off his robe, put a towel around him, he poured some water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them and with the towel he had around him. Jesus demonstrated status in a new way. Jesus also demonstrated selflessness. In Philippians 2.7, it says, He made himself nothing. Or the New King James Version says, He made himself of no reputation. Gave up all his divine privileges. 
When Jesus emptied himself, he gave up all of his power. His omnipresence, his omnipotence, he gave up all that to know how it would feel to be human. He wrapped himself in humanity to humble himself in human skin. He came to become a servant slave to show us how he hoped we would become selfless servants. In Proverbs 6, it talks about, time out, can't see. (laughs) In Proverbs 6, it talks about, (laughs) in Proverbs 6, verse 16, it talks about, there's six things that the Lord hates, but there's seven he detests. Not sure why he said it that way. Maybe he forgot. Said, oh, oh, gotta put that back in there. But one of the things he talked about was haughty eyes. I've never thought about haughty eyes until a few weeks ago. But it's basically just looking down on someone, looking down your nose on them, you know. I've never had anybody do that to me, but I'm sure that there's some in this. There's something in this house that it has. You have been looked out. <laughs> but I grew up in a, a really small town, similar to the size of Malakoff. And so we would play larger teams in basketball and football all the time. And uh, they would look down on us, you know. They're bigger, <laughs> stronger, all that kind of stuff. It wasn't unusual for them to look down on us. It's kind of sickening feeling. But at the same time, it's kind of fuel, you know. <laughs> you want to get fired up so you can beat them. Unfortunately, that didn't usually happen. But it's still, still you got excited about it. We used to play a team called the Hutto Hippos. Anybody heard of them? Yeah. Some around Austin have probably heard of them. So anyway, we played the Hutto Hippos. They were taller in basketball. They were taller, faster, stronger, everything that could happen. That's what they were. So anyway, they they humbled us 99 to 40 in basketball. Thank goodness we were able to keep them from scoring that last point. It's like, I know that's not a big deal, but at least we kept them under 100. course they let us know every chance they got you know just how good they were you know we were a whole bunch of six footers and they were you know every chance they got (laughs) so James 4 6 says God resists the proud but he gives grace to the humble which would you like pride or humility God resisting you in your life or grace in your life? The message, yeah, the message needs to ring true. Humble or humility or pride. When I was getting this message together, I was trying to think, well, Lord, I know you have something for me. Uh, Is there something that, you know, that you're working on that I need to work on? He goes, oh, yeah. You know, like uh, always having to be right, or you never ask for help, 
Eh, it could be pride. I don't want any elbows thrown out here. How about always correcting someone or interrupting them because you have something that's more important to say? Could be pride. How about you need to always be in control or have the last word? How about flaws in people's lives that you need to point out every chance you get? In the fire service, we call that agitation uh, or just joking or maybe you just can't see the boulder in your eye or the log. Even as Texans, we're uh, real quick to point out how great we are and how how great we are and how other states are not. Or, or we'll say, you know, all the good things about Texas and all the wrong things about their state. God, that's pride. God didn't really like it. We don't always want to be around people who are full of themselves or think highly of themselves or the boss that likes to lord it over you. I had a captain one time in the fire station that Every morning, we get to cleaning up the station. It's kind of fire station life. After breakfast, you clean up the whole station. So we're cleaning up the station every day, sit in the same spot, and do a crossword puzzle every, every shift. So it's like, okay, I know you got the stripes. I understand you don't have to do this menial work, but could you be right somewhere else, like out of sight, you know? like shift after shift the same thing well this one day he decides that he's going to do an inspection of our work so he walks through the station of course he goes into the biggest bedroom and back then you could smoke in the station so there was ashtrays in every room well we had missed one and you know if we were a bunch of misfits or a bunch of troublemakers or something I could understand making a point you know, there's, there's times you just have to make that point. But we weren't. We're hard-working hard guys, ambulance house, lots, lots of guys there. We went into the middle of the room, found a, a dirty ashtray, went to the middle of the room of a freshly swept and mopped floor and just dumped out the cigarettes in the middle of the floor. It's like you can understand that if, if we were troublemakers or something, but... There wasn't really a reason for that. It's really easy to just say, hey, Rook, you missed one. Go take care of it. <laughs> You're leading men to be better leaders, not to be arrogant and mean. God has called us all to be humble servants and not lording over people. Some of us are really good at our jobs. Some of us are very accomplished at our professions. But it doesn't mean we're experts at everything. Even seeing people in the, every area of life, we see people that are not accomplished in every area of their life. I drove a tiller truck at the fire department for 10 years, and I'm sure some of you say, oh, big deal, you drove a truck. Beep. I got really good at it. A uh, tiller truck is when you have, it's a tractor trailer, 60 foot long. You have a driver in the front and you have a driver in the back. And it's just unbelievable. You'd think that big of a truck that it couldn't 
get very far, but with that driver in the back, you could get to some of the tightest places. It was just uncanny. Do a U-turn in the middle of the street, just even our engine couldn't do that. But it allowed us to to go in all these different places, and most of the time on fire runs, we're going as fast as we can, you know, safely, of course, fast as we can on city streets through traffic. And there's all kinds of yelling usually when people weren't getting out of our way. It sounded something like, Sir, could you move to the side? <laughs> Pardon me, ma'am. You're in the left lane. Could you move to the right? We're, we're trying to save a stranded cat. I'm sure y'all know it was a lot worse than that. <laughs> it even kind of hurts my feelings sometimes when Liz, first thing she does is grab the bar up front, and I'm like, is that going to save you, you know, to grab that bar? I have to remind her that I was a professional driver. <laughs> but just because I was a good firefighter or a good driver doesn't mean that I was an expert, that I was an an accomplished author or a barber or anything. Just wasn't. We, just, we shouldn't speak, uh, think more highly of ourselves than we ought. There are experts definitely in this house, but not experts in everything. You see, Jesus redefines status for us, for the entire world to see us as servants in selflessness. And finally, Jesus embraces submission. Philippians 2.8, it says, When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Humility is serving others. It's not a sign of weakness. The greatest thing we can do is to bow our knee to help someone that's in need. The greatest thing we can do as a married person for our spouse is to do something nice to them, for them to honor them. It's not to get something. It's just because we honor them. Nathan even spoke a few weeks ago about honor. And I think he gave an acronym. I think the bottom number, it even spoke about humility. It says, R responds with humility. Honor speaks volumes. Obedient even to death on a cross, Jesus demonstrated this in the garden. On the day he was betrayed, in the midst of the pain and the anguish, he's there praying because he knows what's before him. In his humanity, he asked the Father, is there any other way that this cup could be passed for me? Is there another way to your conclusion? This suffering that is before me, I'm open to whatever else you have. But sometime during the night, he concluded, not my will, but yours. Jesus had you on his mind when he was in the garden that night because he knew you would be in the same place. Sitting in the car or the truck, feeling the weight of pain, of betrayal, or abandoned friends, he can say to you, brother, I've been there. He can say, sister, I knew exactly how you feel. 
I went through a very long time of being in darkness. I knew who Jesus was. I'd been in Bible school, I led worship, but I didn't have that solid relationship with Jesus. I fell away and fell away for a long time. It wasn't until nine months ago, heard about this leadership class, and I said, oh, that'd be cool, you know, learn more about Jesus, learn more about the Bible. That'd be awesome. In fact, I had a meeting on a Sunday, I think after the second service, Nathan was going to talk about it. I missed it. So I'm sure that if I would have stayed for that, I probably even wouldn't have gone through with it. I had no idea it was a setup. I had no idea God had other plans for me. I had no idea God's call on my life at 18 was going to come calling again. I had no idea that what God would show me, what a real relationship with Jesus would be like, that I would find freedom, that I would connect to purpose so that hopefully and prayerfully I would make a difference. Through our Lord Jesus Christ and to the glory of the Father. We must humble ourselves and do our part and allow God to reward us so that one day we could hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we were on your mind when you were going through that in the garden. Father, we're so grateful that you went through it. We know that you love us and you care for us. Father, we just pray that you would begin to instill in us that humility, that servant's heart, Father, that's what we desire. We want to be servants in your kingdom. We want to be servants to this house. We want to be servants to our family. Father, just show us the way. Help us to be humble before you. In Jesus' name.